Good morning. Good to see most of you. No, all of you. I'm so glad to see all of you guys. You made it to church. Way to go. Um, I'm so excited about uh, today. We're in this awesome series. Uh, it really is about helping people move forward in their s- spirituality and their faith. And uh, that, just nothing makes me more excited than when I see people change and grow. And um, We're doing these, this series, um, and it's connected to the journey track. And when these are four classes, we've actually been able to vamp, revamp it to the, to the size that we wanted it to be originally. So we got four classes, 101, 201, 301, and 401, and they, and they go through like key things. Um, the first ones today, it's on belonging. How do we create a community of, of inclusion and belonging? How can you belong even before you believe? So if you've got questions, you're still discovering what you believe or what you want to believe, this is the, I mean, this is the place to go. And if you're wanting to um, become a member, like a, we get kind of like our family here. So if you want to be a member of the family here, go through the journey track. And the first one starts today. I'm teaching it. I love it because I get to know people on a more personal basis and, and help people take steps of faith. Um, if you want to know, like, what, is it, what does it look like to receive Christ in my life or to get baptized or to join community or to learn, like, how do, I, how do I serve the Lord with my life? How could God use someone like me? In each of these uh, classes, we really go into those things. And uh, I, I love that we, when, you, when you go through these, the final uh, class actually teaches you how do you learn to share your story, your faith story, what God has done in you? How do you become someone that can help lead other people on their spiritual journey? So I'd lo- love to see you guys there. If you've been through our old uh, journey uh, track, that, that would be, that's awesome. But we've been able to revamp it. I'd love to see uh, anybody who's even gone through other ones start coming and, uh, and go through that together and uh, just see our church grow. It's a, church, it's a life development, life discipleship. Uh, plan for people. So anyways, just want to make sure you guys knew that. And um, my, uh, my son is Wesley. He's um, three months. And we put him in the bumbo for the first time yesterday. You guys know what a bumbo is? It's not a bimbo, it's a bumbo. It's this little seat for children. It's like padded and tiny. And it, it's the first time he's been able to sit up by himself. And most of you guys look like adults when you're sitting. But a few of you guys, when I first walked in, looked a little bit like he did kind of his head's like, you know, not fully upright, and then he'd just be like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he'd be like, so, um, well, there you guys are, My, everybody's looking straight at me now, that's good, it's good to be here, good to have you guys. Um, how many of you guys, uh, are there, is there anybody here who's been involved in service in our military? This is a big weekend for that. Um, I just want to thank you guys, and I want to pray a prayer honoring you, um, right now. So if you guys wouldn't mind, let's pray to honor our veterans. Father God, I just thank you for the sacrifice of so many who have come before us, uh, so many of our veterans who are here and those who aren't. Lord, I pray right now for those who have sacrificed a lot and they're sitting here today. Lord, if there's... So many of us don't even realize what they have sacrificed, what they have gone through. Lord, and if there's any physical or emotional pain or hurt or brokenness, in them that they have even currently, would you heal them, Lord? If there's uh, if there's a heart thing where they've been there's been hurt and brokenness and pain that strikes to the heart in their life, would you heal them? Would would you let them know that we honor them, we're thankful for them today, in Jesus' name, Amen. So today, I want to talk to you guys about 
the, the tests of the human heart, the tests that God brings us through on our journey. And we've been looking at God's people, Israel, uh, through the Exodus. It's the story of the Exodus, how they were freed from Egypt and they were brought to this wilderness. And then God led them around the wilderness until he got them ready enough to go into the promised land. And we're going to skip forward in our series toward the end of their journey today. We're going to look at, actually, they've been traveling for like 40 years in the wilderness, waiting to get in the promised land. And finally, God's about to bring them into the promised land. But Moses and God are worried, like, when they get to the promised land, when they're given what they're hoping for, will they still remember God? And so Moses reminds them that, that, that this whole thing has been part of a relationship that's been building, but it's also been a part of a test for them. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says this, Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years. Like God has been on the journey with them the entire time. It might be good for us to, just for a moment to remember or think and dwell on this, that God, no matter who you are, what you believe or what you don't believe, that God, this is teaching us, is with us on the journey every step of the way whether we were aware of it or not. For these 40 years in the wilderness, God led you and was with you, guided you. Then it says this, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commands, whether you like loved him, like to, to, to really ref, refine the nature of their love. They were brought to the wilderness to be humbled so they could be tested. How many of you guys like tests? How many of you guys would like if we had like a Bible test quiz right now, pop quiz? Do you guys know Deuteronomy 8, 14? Neither do I, so no. <laughs> well, some of you guys, when you think of tests, you'll break out into a cold sweat, adrenaline will start pumping and you feel terrible. Others of you are like, I enjoy being scrutinized and, you know, um, showing how superior I am. You know, some people love tests. They do really good at tests. Some people aren't, uh, aren't test-taking people. Um, but in this, the, God says that there, there is a part of life when you're on a journey with him where there, it's a test. And what we're going to look at are three tests of the heart. You might want to take notes on this. Uh, the, the three tests we're going to look at are, are poverty, prosperity, and power. Three tests of the heart. Pro- poverty, prosperity, and power. And we all face these on our spiritual journey. Every one of us will go through a season, maybe different than other people, but we'll go through seasons like this. In, um, in verse 3, it says, He humbled you by letting you, grow, you go hungry. By letting you go hungry. When we go through a season of poverty, the first season I want to talk to you guys, the first test... Uh, a test of poverty. It's like when God allows us to be hungry, hungry for a relationship, hungry for uh, a, a financial, um, a, maybe a job or some kind of finance uh, to come through for you. Maybe it's hungry for um, for success, hungry for something in your life, something you want to have but you do not have it, and the scarcity is driving you crazy. You ever gone through a season of poverty, a season of hunger? It says here, finishing verse 3, it says, Then he gave you manna to eat when you were hungry, which you and your fathers had not known. God provided this, this bread from heaven called manna, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
Why do we go through seasons of hunger? Why do we go through the testing of poverty, of, of not having what we want or what we need, what we think we need? And this here teaches us the reason is to show people, show humankind, to show God's people that their deepest need isn't physical. It's not bread, it's not water, it's not even you know relationships with each other. Those are all important needs. But the most important need in the human heart is spiritual. A man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God that we need to hear from God. If you've ever been through a season of hunger and through the test of poverty, like you can either try to like dig your way out of it and work harder and try harder and do more and you know maybe maybe there's some, there's something to that. I'm not saying that that working hard is bad, but but if, if we are going through the test of poverty and it doesn't drive us to listen to God more, we're not going to learn the lesson that he needs us to learn when we're in the wilderness hungry in poverty. Are you with me? It's so important that we understand this. So important that like when we are going through a season of want, that we turn to him. And, and I think a lot of times, for my, many of us, when we do go through a season where life is hard, it's not what we wanted. And we, like, we don't have what we need or what we wanted and everything's upside down. I don't know if you've had family members go through addiction or you've been in, in addiction or, you, or you've been struggling just like making ends meet or you've had someone abandon you um, and, and like they were, the, you know, they were everything to you and now you've got to figure life, kids, or new relationships, everything. You've got to figure everything out and you're like, I'm in this season of this test of poverty, like, will it drive you to listen to the Lord? And I think many of us, when we, when we hit poverty, it's, we, we do, we, it's, 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 it's a time where we're like, man, I need to reevaluate my life. God, I don't have it figured out. I need to hear from you more than I need anything else. More than I need a job right now, I need to hear your voice. This is related to the second test. And in, in um, verse 11, it, uh, of chapter 8 it says be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands ordinances and statutes that I'm giving you today don't forget him by just you know doing your own thing verse 12 it says when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold multiply and everything else you have increases when you go through prosperity and everything is booming everything is increasing and like you got the money you got the relationships you got the house you got the, the all the stuff you are wanting and working hard for and hoping for and praying for and then all of a sudden god gives you that and more and you go through a season of prosperity it says in verse 14 be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the place of slavery. Remember, you were slaves. You had zero power. Zero ability. Zero prosperity. Don't forget it. Don't forget that I freed you. And it says in verse 15, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions. I think that's funny that it mentions that. You know, like, if you ever remember, like, family vacations, you know, like, the kids, you know, 
Like when I'm talking with my parents, I'm like, you guys remember the poisonous snake that almost bit me in Montana? You know, I'm like remembering the worst parts of it. And my parents are like, but what about the best times when we fed you and took care of you and brought you there? You know, we could have just left you home. Uh, and I brought you through a thirsty land where there was no water. And, and then I brought water out of this flint rock. And, and remember when he, he fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers had never known, in order to humble and test you. It's a test. So that in the end, he might cause you to prosper. That there's this reality that God wants us to prosper. He wants us to, to experience prosperity in our lives. And a lot of times, people have theologically taken that off the deep end, saying that like the primary thing here is like your physical uh, and financial prosperity. That God's like, like that's, his, that's his primary interest in your life. And I'm here to tell you that God's primary interest in your life, what God gets out of your life, isn't the finances that you crew. It's not the, 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 the businesses that you create or the, uh, you know, any of those things, the, vo- the vocation that you end up in. The, the thing that God gets from your life is who you become. So God is interested in the prosperity of your spiritual character. And God wants you to be taken care of. God, I mean, ultimately, we are headed to a, a time and a kingdom with God. We are headed into the kingdom of God where like, there is no tear, there is, there is no sorrow, there is, there is complete connection with God. There is a renewal of all the broken things, a, a, a fixing and amending of all the tears in, our, in the fabric of our world, and all that's broken will be, will, be, will be whole again. And we get to look forward to that prosperity. But here on this earth, God is interested in the prosperity of our souls. Because you can have everything that the world wants to give you, but have traded your soul. Are you with me? So, when you have prosperity, and when you're, you're full and you have food, and you build beautiful homes, and your herds and flocks are large, when your bank account is full, and your 401k is full, and the interest rate is great, and, and your business is booming, and life is booming, and all of a sudden all this prosperity you know, is happening. Some of you guys are out there like, can I, can I go through the test of prosperity? Like, I'm ready for that. I've been in poverty for a long time. I'm ready. F- it says... When you're going through those things, don't forget God. Don't forget that, remember, when you were in poverty, the most important thing was to listen to his voice. What often happens is God will give us what we've wanted or we'll, we'll go through a prosperous time and we won't realize, like, this is a part of a, this is a test. This is a test. This isn't the ultimate prosperity of these temporary things that are most of the stuff that we accrue. In fact, all of it except the relationships and if we have a relationship with God, all of it's going to end up at the bottom of a dump someday. It's going to be, it's going to erode. It's going to be uh, decrepit at some point. Uh, Everything is fading in this earth and we put our hope that that's the ultimate prosperity. We've missed it. But the ultimate prosperity is, is, is really the kingdom of God. And we're, what, what typically happens is when we go through that season, things start going well, we start moving away from God's voice. We stop listening and we stop tuning in to his voice. We stop spending time with God. We stop spending uh, like our priority is around God. Like our, our priorities change. 
And it's, isn't it so human? I'm saying this for myself. Isn't it so human that when we go through a season when we have and we've been given, uh, all of a sudden, like now we can buy that RV, we can buy that sweet TV, we can buy that cabin, that condo, uh, that we will put our money and our time there. And the God who gave it to us, the God who enabled it, we begin leaving behind or we be, it becomes less of a priority. He becomes less when the other things increase and we fail the test. We fail the test. And I don't want our church to fail that test. I don't want you to fail it. I don't want to fail that test. And how true is it that like all of a sudden the God who gave who speaks. And like times like this on Sundays, this is such an important time to come and hear from God. Don't we gather to experience God and to worship Him and to praise Him and to think about Him and to give back to Him? And like, like God, you've given me everything and we hear His voice and we learn to be a loving community that does the things God wants us to do together. All of a sudden now I, I can buy a condo, an RV, a, whatever the thing of me is. And all of a sudden, three weeks out of the month, I'm with that. And once I'm, I'm here on a Sunday, you know, once a, once a month or once every few months, like when I start feeling the poverty or I start feeling like, oh, I need God. Isn't it interesting? And God wants us to remember him. And maybe, maybe your quiet time with the Lord, would you get in his word or your prayer times with the Lord become less and less and your time here on Sundays becomes less and less because all of a sudden he's increased everything and you start worshiping that. You start living for for that. You start prioritizing that. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything more important than hearing God's voice in your life? Then why don't we prioritize that? I'm speaking to you fully human. It is so easy to do that pattern, right? Things go well. I move away from God. Things go bad. Oh, God, I need your help so bad. You're so important to me. I need you. And then all of a sudden when you don't need him, I don't need him. This, this sermon was what I was going through is so challenging. How many of you guys feel challenged right now? Good, not very many. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I don't want to miss what God has to say to me. I don't want to fail the test. I want to keep growing. I want to grow beyond the like temporary prosperity. And I and I and I, we just have to know there's going to be peaks and valleys. When you go through one prosperity, like pretty soon there's going to be a season where you're going through some kind of loss. There's going to be some kind of hunger. And once you want to face that, having made your relationship stronger with God, prioritize Him. Don't start going to those other things. You know, like two months. Three months before all of a sudden you come to church one time or before your prayer life or before your, your time with God and his word, before you go to, a, you know, like get around other Christians. Don't like, just don't, don't go to the well for like a, you know, once a month and then do everything else and then come back to him that one time a month. You're not going to have a healthy relationship. You're not going to be hearing from the Lord in the way that he's designed you. Are you, does this make sense? Man, I, this is something I want for our church because we will pass the test if we're prioritizing him. Third test, you may say to yourself, this is not my house. This is not my beautiful wife. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you guys might. Some people know what that quote was. 
those of you who don't, look it up on your phone, it's fine. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his, his covenant he swore to you as fathers. Notice it says, when you go through prosperity, you've gone from poverty to prosperity, the next test is power. You may say to yourself, my power, my power, my own ability have gained this wealth, this life for me, so I can, my influence, uh, everything I have, uh, so I can wield it and use this power the way I want because I've earned it. I've earned this. This is mine. Like, I've worked so hard from this. I pulled myself up out of poverty. And, like, we can believe, begin believing this narrative that, like, it's me and what I did. And it was so hard. And you don't realize what I had to sacrifice so that I could get here. But in verse 18, it says, But remember that the Lord, your God, gives you the power to gain wealth. Not so that you could use it for yourself, but, but, but so God could confirm that he loves you, that he's in a relationship for you with you, and he's a provider. Like, God gave you the power and the ability and the life and the breath and your lungs to be able to accomplish anything that you feel like you've accomplished on your own. It's all been God. It's all been God. Don't forget him. Don't let that, 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 that power trip start to invade your life. You've got to pass this test. And um, if any of you guys have been reading the headlines, this is a test that people have been failing a lot. Power. You've been reading the headlines, like, it's like this, this giant rock that was beautiful and painted white and just looked gorgeous. Like in my you know, grandparents' garden, you know, they have these like painted rocks. And all of a sudden they pulled up the rock of Hollywood. And what has been ignored is there's just all this rot and... and, and it's just evil. People abusing power, exploiting sexually, uh, financially, uh, relationally, just like, just pulled up the rock and they're looking at and There's been other rocks that have pulled, been pulled up recently in our globe, in, in the world, internationally, politically, and they look under the, and, and, and the test that will not be passed because like there's not a trust in the Lord is power. And God wants to know, what are you going to use your influence, your power for? Did you earn it? Did you? Or is it from God? Are you, the, what you have, the influence and the power and the, whatever you have, or don't like, even if it's meager or if it's a lot, it's a gift from God. Are you going to steward that well? Because God wants you to be ready for what, it, for what He wants to give you. Verse 16, it says, He fed you in the wilderness manna with, that your fathers didn't know in order to humble and test you. That in the end, he might cause you to prosper. God wants us ultimately to prosper. But our selfishness... Can we agree on this before I move any farther? Whether you believe in God or not, can we agree that our world struggles with selfishness? Can we agree on that? Like there's some... In the human heart, there's something in, so selfish. Bible calls it sin, but it's like this... It's so self-centered... Deuteronomy 8.2, remember this at the beginning. Remember the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years so that you, he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. When you look at what you prioritize your time and your life and your money, and when you look at the season that you might be in of poverty, prosperity, or power, 
you were to sit down with God today, just sit down with him, have a cup of coffee, what would, what would you talk about? Like, what would you be talking about Seahawks with him? Would you be talking about Facebook and politics? What would God need to talk to you about with the tests in your life? How would he be trying to help you? What would he be saying? Commit. Some of us like, might need to re-up, recommit. Like, man, Lord, I've been away from you. I have not been prioritizing my time around you, hearing your voice. Like, I'm rarely around. I rarely put myself in situations like this on a Sunday to be here to hear your voice because I'd rather listen to TV. I'd rather listen to what's on the Internet. I'd rather listen to, you know, like a, a, a brook singing to me. And, like, none of those things are evil. I'm just saying that God's voice is more important. Why? Because it is. If you sat with God, what would we talk to you? What tests are you facing? Where are you failing? Where are you succeeding? Where God wants you, you to succeed. Um, I think this is really important to say before we move to the, the last section. This is really important. Some of you guys might have been listening to this, this sermon today and find, find it very challenging. <laughs> Like, when I was going through this sermon and, and reading this text, I was just like, this is challenge after challenge, like test after test. Like, this is hard. How do you teach, you know, in a culture that's like, everything's easy, and like, we'll make it easy for you, and it's all about consumption and the consumer, and you know, like, you just, we need to give them what they want to hear. Like, how do you deliver this high challenge that God has this, uh, a greater life for us, but we have, to, like, we have to be ready for some tests. But how do you deliver it in a way like, that people realize like, that God still loves them? And I, here's the thing. You might have been listening to me and misheard something, and I want to make this really clear. It would be a mistake to think that what I'm saying or what the Scripture is saying is that you have to pass these tests you know, poverty, prosperity, power, that you have to pass these God tests so that God will love you. That's not what this is saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. God saved his people from Egypt, delivered them. They couldn't deliver themselves. He freed them. They were slaves, and he freed them to be free people, to follow him and have a relationship. They did nothing. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't deserve it. There is no test, no form of earning that we could do to merit or deserve God's love. It's just freely given. You and I can become sons and daughters of God freely, freely, freely. But when you start walking with him, he's, a, he's our father. He's our father, and he wants us to grow. He wants our character to change. And when you want someone to grow, the best way to see someone grow is to let them go through some hard things. And, and the beautiful thing is that God's with us every step of the way. I was out at the cabin uh, recently with my daughter. My parents have a little cabin out toward Westport, and we've got the, they have this old rickety um, bunk bed, and my They've got all these toys for my daughter, you know, because they're the grandparents. They have all these toys. But the one thing she likes is this rickety death trap that's like, it's about to fall over. She loves climbing up on this bunk bed and like sliding down, climbing up and sliding down. And it scares me to death when she's doing this. 
And I, th- this, this last time we were there, I was like with her, and she's like, Dad, let's go play at the bump pit. Okay. And I'm like watching her, and, and, and she needs to learn how to climb and how, to, like, how gravity works and things like that. Uh, and I can't sh- completely shelter her. And for her to learn and to grow, like, I, I need to let her experience things. But I'm not going to let her just do that on her own. Dad, I'm jumping off the bunk bed. You know, wham! Yeah, that'll happen. You know, no. No, that's not a good father. So, like, I'm with her the whole time. And, hey, make sure you put your foot there. No, no, don't lean. You're, nope, don't do that. Your head first. That's bad. You go leg first. And I'll help her a little bit. But most of the time, I'm just, like, kind of hovering, watching. And then when she gets it right or she's playing and she's in her own world, she's learning, she's growing, she's developing. And I just have so much joy. But I'm there the whole time. God's with us on every step of our journey as we grow. Now, it would be weird if I was like that and she's 24 and, and be careful climbing up the bunk and, you know, like, oh, don't, don't get down without me. You know, like, we, we're, we need to grow and develop. And every step of the way, God loves us. He's accepted us. There's nothing we could do, do to earn his, his love. But when we are his sons and daughters, he wants us to grow. That's right. Amen. I'll take that virtual Amen. <laughs> Preach it, says the computer. God's our Father. He loves us. We're not earning anything from Him, of His love, by passing these tests. But He is refining our character and refining our love through it. Now, one of the areas that God challenges us to refine our character and to refine our lives in is. Um, is in loving others. Like one of these, te- like one of the tests. Oh, I should say all these tests are related to other people. There's in Deuteronomy ten. It says this: He executes justice. God does for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien, since they were resident. Since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt, resident alien is is an outsider. It's someone who who's not on the, in the inside. They're without. And God loves the fatherless, the orphan. He loves the widow. He loves anybody who's the down and out. And he says, remember, because I'm the, I love those who are down and out. When I heard your cry, I came and rescued you from Egypt. You couldn't do anything, and I pulled you out. I rescued you. And for us to become more and more like God, when we pass these tests, we become more and more like Him. When we do that, we love the, the people that God loves. And God begins to use our lives to help the fatherless and the widow and any outsider. And we become a church where those who are hurting and broken can come inside and be loved. And we, we begin to be a community that looks a lot like God. Even though we're broken and messed up, and, you know, we've got all sorts of issues going on, but we're slowly growing and changing and other people are changing. Amen? I have a friend I want to come uh, introduce an, uh, a video interview that we did. This is Kate Rabb. She works with uh, uh, Willow Crest. <laughs> Olive Crest. Sorry, my mind just went. Olive Crest, and um, which is the organization that uh, we partner with. They used to be YFC, now they're Olive Crest, but they but they take care of um, they really take care of kids and get kids connected to healthy families, healthy foster care families. So, would you mind just setting up uh, the video we're about to to watch? Yeah. So, I think when I was thinking about this, um, foster care is such a uh, it's both an overwhelming. 
an underwhelming word. And I think it's overwhelming because it symbolizes tons of kids that are in need, but it's also underwhelming because um, I think it desensitizes us from the reality of what it symbolizes, which is children. It's just this word. Um, And as I was thinking about um, just, well, George was asking me actually, uh, like why I do what I do. I work in the foster care system um, as a social worker. And I was trying to think of some profound reason to give for why I'm working in the foster care system. And um, the the real honest answer is I needed a job. And um, I just kind of stumbled into the foster care field uh, about five years ago. And when I did, I didn't know anything about foster care. I didn't have any like specific passion or um, ability that qualified me really for that. Um, and now, five years later, um, it's a very personal um, word and field and um, really personal because it symbolizes people. It symbolizes little children um, and teenagers that are in need. Um, and I know those kids and I know those faces. Um, and I'll never forget the, the first Sunday Whitewater did the gifts for our kids um, for the Christmas party. Um, and I just, <laughs> Scott was reminding me, I stood in the aisle just like sobbing because uh, it was so powerful to see people coming forward and uh, really just saying yes to these kids. Um, and, it, and for me, it was this, not only because I know these kids' faces, I could see where these gifts were going, but it was watching God move on behalf of the vulnerable because the way that God moves on behalf of people is through his people, the church. Um, and these kids need family more than they need a home. Um, and what better family than us? I mean, we are the most dysfunctional, recovering, mixed, messy family there is. It's the church. Um, and if not us, then who? Um, and so today we're going to get to see a video of a family there. Uh, in their 60s, they've been doing this for 32 years. Um, retirement for them looks like fostering five teen boys. Um, and so we just sat down with them and, why are you doing this? Um, and so I'm excited to share with you guys the heart behind why they do what they do. My name is Nancy Miller, and um, I've been a foster parent for 32 years. We didn't know anybody who did foster care, and so we just had to jump in and call the state of Washington and said, what do you do? Before we were even licensed, they had called us with our first placement. Two little girls came running out of a receiving home, which is a temp, you know a short-term placement. Are you going to be our new mom and dad? And it was like, okay, those are our first two, because you can't turn them down when they come running up to you with that question. And then when they eventually went home, then it's like, okay, I guess... That was fun. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. So it was a good experience um, for us. Yeah, and over time we um, had uh, there was probably forty kids that we had more long term where they would stay. As you know, a group of three sisters were with us for eleven years, and um, one uh, that was with us for thirteen years ended up having um, pretty much seven kids most of the time that we had our house full of. So it was a busy place. But we never even thought about stopping. Especially those original ones and the ones that stayed here so long are still our kids. They um, have no family and they are our children. So they still come for all the holidays. 
um, and fill the house, and now they bring their children. I started yeah. the ball rolling. We've been foster parents for 32 years. We get a lot of people asking, you know, are, you know, are you crazy? And how, you know, how much longer are you going to keep doing this? We usually say, well, when you start doing foster care, we'll stop. We could retire and quit doing foster care and have time to ourselves, but somebody has to take care of the kids. Where are those five boys going to go that are out in the other room right now? We are interacting with kids in, in trauma a lot of the times, and we even bear the brunt of some of their um, acting out from some of their traumas. But it, it really enriches your, your life. You have this feeling of, I'm doing what I've been called to do here. This is, this is, I belong here doing this right now. It's a gift, but it's a responsibility. You need to care for the poor and feed the hungry. So that's a biblical you know, mandate. And, and Jesus says, if you're not doing that, then you're missing, you, you know, you're not just missing the fulfillment of it, you are missing the boat. It was came to us when she was nine or ten. I think it was a I think it was a Christmas morning, and it was crazy here. There was twenty people, you know, gift paper flying and ribbons in the air and too much noise and lots of food. And, I mean, Christmas around here is nuts. But um, she was sitting next to me. <laughs> okay. Cut. Uh, she looked at me and I looked at her and, and we both agreed that we wouldn't change a thing. So we have a house full of kids, um, and most of, her, of whom weren't related by blood, but we're still all family. Are you going to change that? Nope. Wow, right? Isn't it true? That we're all just kids like eating at God's table. Kids who are lost and broken and full of ourselves at times, insecure at times, totally in need. And God brought us to his table and gave us everything we need. He gave us his son, Jesus. He gives us his spirit, gives us a new life, gives us a new purpose. And when we follow him as a church community... Will we see the outsider? Will we see the fatherless, the orphan? Will we see widows? Will we see people who need love or just have basic needs? And will, will we step into that moment? Will we pass the test? I'm telling you, we live in a day and age where we are, we are the 1% in the world that everybody else looks to. We think we look to someone else above us and be like, look how much they have. And you know, I'll start giving when I, when I hit that amount, like some secret amount. I'll start being generous. I'll start being compassionate. When I hit that, I'll start acting on those things. And many of us can, have you ever felt that way? Like, when I, when I have more, I'll be able to do this. What, like, generous, I'll, I'll be generous toward a church. I'll be generous toward people, like, when, I, when I'm able to have more. I'll give my time when I, when I have more time. The truth is, you wouldn't and you won't because you aren't right now. You won't give, most likely. That someday when you have more because you're not right now. Generosity is not a dollar amount. It's a sacrificial amount. 
I'll give my time. I'll give my time to something. To, like, so, when I have more time, I'm so slammed. I'm so busy. We give our time to what we prioritize. And you, you won't do that in the future because you're not right now. And if you want an opportunity to start somewhere, not all of us are going to be called to have kids in our home that we foster care. Some of us are. And the church's job is to surround you and love you and walk through that with you and be a family of families. And there's going to be other people that are serving in areas and we as a church are supporting you. Like we're to be this incredible family of love. But it starts somewhere. Maybe just, just start giving a little and building there. Start giving some time. Like grab some tags. We got, I think we've given away 400 and something tags. We, we still need to get rid of like probably 50 more. Grab a tag and give gifts at the, at the party or come on Wednesday night and serve at that uh, at the decorations and building stuff. It's going to, you know, we, every little thing we bring to the table will make a difference. Are you with me? So let me pray. Let's worship God. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Help us to pass the tests in our life. When we're hungry, help us to pass the test. When we've got Everything we want, help us to pass the test. When we've got power and influence, Lord, don't let pride get into our heart and make us forget you. It's not about us. It's about you, Jesus. Amen.